terrific song just before this message today, and we'll continue it with the second commandment next Sunday as well, both dealing with the greatness of our God and how worthy He is of our worship. We have a lot going on uh, in our church family, as always. Again, welcome to those who are watching online. Welcome to all who are here. Uh, Welcome to our new brother, Jackson. Welcome to our new family that have been visiting with us. Uh, So glad to have Cameron and Kristen and Jody Lynn with us as a part of us and so many others that we appreciate and love. And uh, what a blessing it is to meet together uh, today. We have a singing class this evening at 5 across the parking lot. We have a chapel class here Uh, in the chapel at 5 p.m. also. We have our Wednesday night summer series. Our brother Davey Carter got us off to just an incredible start this past Wednesday night. And I hope if you haven't, weren't able to be here, I would encourage you to watch that video on our live stream site in our archives because it was a, a wonderful, wonderful message. We are excited to have Spencer Lockhart Shaw here on uh, uh, Sunday, uh, Wednesday night. Uh, Spencer's got a lot of Lockhart blood in him, and uh, I know Jay brought that out as well, Jay Bynum, and we are indebted, of course, uh, to his grandparents and to his parents also, uh, and his sister and uh, his whole family, his brother-in-law, and that wonderful little blessing of Azariah. What a, what a blessing that family is to us. And I can tell you, you will love hearing the story of Ruth and our risk takers putting your faith on the line this Wednesday night as our brother Spencer Shaw shares with us. That will be a great thing. I'm glad to be able to announce today that uh, in September, on September 24th and 25th, uh, Owen and Lauren Mitchell will be here and they will be hosting a Reconnect Marriage Seminar. You'll be hearing a lot more about that Uh, in the future, in the next uh, month or so, and that'll happen on September 24th and 25th, Reconnect uh, Marriage Seminar uh, with Owen and Lauren Mitchell, and we're super excited that that has been confirmed, and we're very grateful uh, for the work that they will do here uh, with us. Of course, there are so many others that are uh, recovering from the loss of loved ones, that are recovering from surgeries, uh, disease that are uh, looking ahead to surgeries even uh, this week. And so we appreciate the opportunity to pray uh, for one another. Let's bow for just a moment. Father, we are grateful to you. How great is our God. Lord, we pray for this church family and for this community and for this nation and for this world. It is your world. And we know, Father, that you are the great God, that you are the creator and the sustainer and that you are the eternal Lord and the eternal judge. So, Father, as we continue to worship you and to live faithfully to you each day, we ask your blessing. And as we consider these great commandments today and next Sunday on our wonderful, great God who demands us to worship you and you only, and in return, Father, that there is nothing Nothing that can come that you are not big enough to handle. We are so grateful, Father, and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I shared this quote last week. I don't know if you remember it or not, but uh, here it is. In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary named blank their word of the year. 
You didn't know you were going to be tested. So all of you that weren't here last Sunday and haven't listened uh, to the sermon yet, well, you're not off the hook because you weren't here last Sunday and you haven't listened to the sermon yet. So you're still in trouble. Uh, But for those who were here, do you remember what I shared or what would you put in that blank? Even if it's not the one that the Oxford Dictionary came up to a few years ago. In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary named post-truth their word of the year. Post-truth. This is from a book by Sarah Barrett. Who came, the book came out uh, in April of this year, Stand Up, Stand Strong. And this article is about that book. She writes, according to their definition, post-truth is relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. A post-truth environment exists when people are directed by subjective feelings rather than objective facts. A post-truth world is not one in which truth has ceased to exist, but one in which truth has ceased to matter. Truth becomes personal. All truths, in other words, opinions, are equally valid and feelings have the upper hand. What's true for you doesn't have to be true for me is the mantra of the post-truth age. That's the age that we apparently are living in and are seeking to minister in. Objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So how I feel, how I personally believe, is more important and significant than what is true, what is right. I appreciate this quote, a post-truth world is not one in which truth has ceased to exist, but one in which truth has ceased to matter. You see, truth cannot cease to exist. (laughs) It is the truth. The question is, how much does it matter? How important is it to me? How important is it to our community? How important is it to our nation? How important is it to our church? A post-truth world is not one in which truth has ceased to exist, but one in which truth has ceased to exist to matter. There's another, uh, there are so many examples in today's world that, that we could use to talk about this. Um, and I'd like to share one today. This is from an article that I, uh, that came out just this week on Yahoo. And, uh, the article is entitled this, what is LGBTQIA plus? The acronym for the queer community keeps evolving. And as I read this, this is by an author who is sympathetic to that community and to that cause. He writes, Once upon a time, four letters were commonly used to describe the queer community as a whole. L for lesbian, G for gay, B for bisexual, and T for trans or transsexual, creating an acronym LGBT. But that was then, and this is now. As new terminologies, identities, and experiences appear in the cultural climate, the acronym has since picked up a few more letters. Q for queer, 
and or questioning. I for intersex, A for asexual, creating the now widely used acronym, according to the article, LGBTQIA+. With that plus on the end, that meant to cover anyone who feels their queer identity was not otherwise represented. That is the world in which we live. That is not the world that God created. That is not his vision. That is not the truth. That is not the truth. As we consider those things, we ask a question last week. And we ask it again today. Is there a place for the Ten Commandments today? Does the Bible acknowledge what I just read to be the truth? Or does it speak to it at all? Does Jesus speak to it? Does the New Testament speak to it? And interestingly enough, one of the things that's being said in our community and environment today is that, yes, the Old Testament condemned homosexuality and, um, what is it, LGBTQIA+. But Jesus never did. That's what's being said. Jesus never condemned homosexuality. We call it by other names, gay, lesbian, uh, queer, trans, whatever it might be now. Scripture calls it homosexuality. And the more general term is sexual immorality. And we'll speak more about that later on in this series when we get to that particular commandment. Is there a place for the Ten Commandments today? The answer, of course, is yes. Yes. We spoke about it a little bit in our class in relation to Galatians 3, acknowledging that the, new, the uh, Ten Commandments are in the Old Testament, and we get that. But that doesn't mean that they're invalid, and it doesn't mean that they're not uh, affirmed in the New Testament. And as we'll see uh, when we get to the one on the Sabbath, there are some things about that that are still very much applicable and commanded today, but not the Sabbath. That'll be a fun lesson. Is there a place for the Ten Commandments today? The answer is yes. Yes. The first commandment is the greatest commandment stated negatively. The first commandment. You remember that first commandment, right? Jesus has it in uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and it's written in several places, including Mark chapter 12. The commandment is, uh, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That is, according to Jesus, the greatest commandment when he was asked about it. And it stems, it's a different way of saying this one, this first of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 3, which says, you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus states that positively by saying, love the Lord. And as we'll see, put him first. That's what loving him means. In the Old Testament from Moses in the Ten Commandments, the very first one in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3 says, states it negatively, you shall have no other gods before me. 
Well, what does that mean? I want us to share a little bit about what that means today. Commandment number one can be put this way. Put God first. Put God first. That sounds easy enough, doesn't it? (laughs) Sounds simple. Until we begin to delve into his word and all of a sudden his word isn't quite consistent with our wants. Our feelings perhaps, are what we think. And so the question is, which will win out? Which will be first? The God that is revealed in Scripture by His inspired Word or the God that we see when we look in the mirror? Which one will be first? Our God is an awesome God. Tom Clark's favorite song. So glad we sang it today. And so the question, as we go through this series and each of the Ten Commandments, we're going to face them with a question, the series, the Ten Questions. And this first one is simply this, who is your God? Who is your God? As our shepherd Jay announced and shared and prayed, we confess today here that God is our God. The Lord is our God. And so we must ask ourselves, okay, does my life reflect that? Are those just words? A few things about what no other God means. Number one, no other gods means obedience. No other gods means obedience. First of all, it means, no, it means obedience. It means I will obey the one who I recognize as God and the one who I put first in my life. And so we can turn it around and say, how do I know who my God is? Well, it is the one that I obey. <laughs> That's who is my God. That's who calls the shots in my life. Put God first. No other gods means obedience. And Jesus speaks a lot about that. There are a lot of scripture passages on your outline today, on the outline online. And you can look at those, and we won't read them, but I'll refer to them, including this one from Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't say there, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, uh, but everyone who is true to their feelings, they will. Everyone who lives by their truth, They will. That's not what Jesus says at all. But rather it's the one who will do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Felt so strongly about that that in Luke chapter 9 he said, If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. That that horrible, horrible thing created by man to punish criminals and to take life. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's a whole lot different than be true to yourself. Be true to your feelings. Be faithful to your truth. You can't find that anywhere in Scripture. And you cannot find that anywhere in the teaching of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. In fact, in John chapter 14, within one paragraph, he states very clearly three times, the one who loves me is the one who is obedient to my commands. 
And so some would say in our culture, well, Jesus doesn't condemn homosexuality. He never did. Never says specifically, thou shalt not do that. Oh, no? Really? Because when they come to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 and they ask him, so is it okay to divorce your wife for any reason? Jesus goes back to Genesis. Jesus goes back to creation. Jesus goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. And he says, no, don't you know that that's not the way it's been from the beginning? That's not God's vision for humanity. Because you see, in the beginning, God created them what? Male and female. That's it. Male and female. Now, within those two sexes, there are all kinds of variations and personalities and types and characteristics and all of that. Certainly true. But when God creates, he creates male and female. And so he looks to this creation that he has made, and he says, therefore, a man, male, will leave his wife, female, and will cleave to her. A a man will leave his father and mother, rather, and will cleave to his wife, and they, too, will be one flesh. That was that way in Genesis in creation. It's been that way in the law of Moses. It was that way through the prophets. It was that way very clearly stated in the pages of the New Testament. And it was that way for Jesus. Is it that way for us in the midst of a culture that doesn't recognize that? Can we be faithful to loving our neighbor as ourselves? Because yes, all of those in that community are our neighbors. And we love them. Because Jesus loved us. And we treat them with respect and consideration and compassion, but we tell them the truth. And we live by it ourselves. Put God first. Who is your God? No other gods means obedience. And obedience means discipleship. Obedience means discipleship. I will follow him. I will learn from him. I'm a learner. That's the word disciple. Obedience means discipleship. Who is your God? It is the one you obey. Not the one that you say, although that's good to confess. Your God is the one you obey. No other gods means obedience. Secondly, no other gods means serving God 24-7, 365. I'm sorry I didn't calculate the minutes part of that, but y'all can do that. No other gods means serving God 24-7, 365. I am crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20 proclaims. It is no longer I that live, Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how we live. That's what that marvelous story that Chris shared around the table about his friend who gave his life, that before he even gave his life, he lived the life. And that's what Jesus calls us to do, to live the life, to put God first. And having no other gods means serving God 24-7, 365. It means offering your life to God as a living sacrifice every hour, every day, every year. Romans 12 says to be a living sacrifice. Who is your God? Your God is the one you serve. Not the one you say you serve. 
your God is the God you serve. No other gods means obedience. No other gods means serving God 24-7, 365. And then number three today, no other gods means putting God first. You are Lord of creation, Lord of my life, Lord of the land and the sea. You were Lord of the heavens before there was time. And Lord of all lords, you will be. No other gods means putting God first. Jesus said in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, that's where you'll find your heart. And he said, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one and hate the other or despise the one and be faithful to the other. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in you fill in the blank. Putting God first is what no other gods means. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he said in Matthew 6, verse 33, and everything else will fall into place. No other gods means putting God first. Putting God first condemns idolatry. It condemns idolatry. We'll speak a little bit more about this next week. But idolatry is worshiping and serving something as God that is not God. And you say, boy, I'm glad we don't worship those idols like they did in the Old Testament times. Oh, we have our idols. They don't look like that. They're not nailed down so that they won't topple. (laughs) But we have our idols. You could come up with some money, as Jesus had just said, is one. The things that money can buy, that can become our idol. We can put that first as our God. Our jobs can become that. Our families can become that. We can use our families in such a way that they actually come before God in our lives. Culture, certainly as we've seen already, this is Pride Month. (laughs) And so you're seeing it on every uh, uh, emoji or whatever. You're seeing, seeing it on every commercial. You're seeing it in every business. Not every, that's an overstatement, Bill, but enough. Pride Month. Pride in sinning. Pride in going against the word of God so that you can be faithful to your truth. It's nothing to be proud about. It's something Jesus died to save us from. Perhaps the one idol that we worship and serve is the one I mentioned earlier, and that is self. That's the one that you see when you look in the mirror. And when we put that person before God, because we want to do what that person wants, we want to live according to that person's truth, we've actually accepted that post-truth lifestyle because now truth is relative. Truth is based on my situation, my feelings, my wants, my desires. I am now on the throne of my heart. I am now my God. Who is your God. No other gods means putting God first. No other gods, it means put, it condemns idolatry. Who is your God? It's the one you follow. Your God is the one you follow. Whoever that is, that's your God. We bow down and we worship you, Lord. Lord of all lords, you will be. Who is 
your God. It is the one you follow. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is the basis for all the other commandments. And if you're not faithful in this commandment, if you're not willing to let God be your God and put him first in your life, you will have a hard time with the other commandments to follow. (laughs) I'm not going to say you might as well not even read them because maybe that'll do you some good. But I can tell you, you're not going to follow them unless you follow this one. Unless God is your God, it's not going to matter what commandments he has. Where they're consistent with your truth, you'll follow. Where they're not, you'll choose yourself over the living God who created you, who died for you. But if you get this one, if you are truly putting God first in your life, you will be faithful in the others no matter what the sacrifice is. If you get this one. Why is this so important, Bill? Because we care. We care about our families and we care about our children and we care about each other. We care about the Abels. We care about the Chandlers. We care about the Vincents. We care about the Monahans. We care about the Williams. We care about the Mosleys. We care about the Taylors. We care about the Alves. We care about our families, our children. We want them to make God their God. And that's hard right now. And they need our help right now. The first commandment calls us to worship the true God. The second commandment calls us to not sell the true God short. I'm really looking forward to next week. That's the one about don't make any graven image, you know, in the Old Testament, in the Old King James. The question next week is, see, now you're going to know. You, you got it ahead. How big is your God? Today's question is, who is your God? Next week, maybe you say, okay, the Lord is my God. And so next week, the question is going to be, how big is he? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Is that the God you serve? Because he's there. And that is the truth. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is the basis for all the other commandments. What in my life is the biggest challenge to God for my time and service? What is it that keeps getting in my way of serving and following and obeying and living the will and word of God? Because whatever that is, that's what's doing this to try to take over God's spot. Who is your God? The great news of the gospel is if we truly want to put him first to make the living Lord our God, there is nothing that Satan or anyone or anything else can do to keep that from happening. Even the nature of our community and our country today, Bill, absolutely, absolutely, there is absolutely nothing that anybody, any friend, any uh, authority, any government, any media, any, anything can do to keep us from having the living Lord be our God if that's what we want. Nothing. And if that's what you want today, for the living Lord to be your 
God. And we can help you make that happen. Come as we stand. Sing our song together.